Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. His fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. And we pray the Lord's blessing on the reading and the proclamation of his word. We're honored to be here. Uh, We have heard about the Parks Church for a while and we have just been uh, blessed to uh, to get to know you guys and, and to be a part of this. And, and I snuck in back in December and, and heard Kyle speak, and then we snuck in again last week. And there's a uniqueness about what's happening in this place where you're actually taking the Word of God and opening it up, and that is driving your content. So many churches are not doing that, and they're moving away from that and, and, and to, to the church's detriment. And so I want to honor you guys. And you guys, the worship team, you guys are amazing. So you, you do not know, as a church, my suspicion is you don't know how blessed you are with the leadership team that you have. So I just want to honor you guys, and thanks for giving, letting me be here. So let me, let me just gather my heart and our hearts together. Father, I pray that you will speak through me today. Take your word and your spirit, speak through your servant to your people. And no one came to hear Hebel speak, they came to hear you. So just be in me, everything that's needed in this space today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. One of the things I love about, again, what you guys are doing is you're going right through scriptures and you're working through the book of Acts. And as I was sitting here last week, I'm going, this is awesome. He is teeing me up and doesn't even know it. Because he's worked away. If, you, if you've been listening, you know that he, he, he's beginning through Acts. And Acts starts with Jesus giving a charge to his disciples. And then he disappears. He goes up into heaven. And then there's this upper room meeting. And in the upper room, the Holy Spirit comes down in very demonstrative ways. And then Peter and the guys go into the streets. And it's at the time of Pentecost. And, and I'm sure he explained Pentecost was a time when people from Jews from all over the world, it was a, a yearly feast. They would come to Jerusalem to celebrate together this, this massive 
infusion of foreigners, in a sense, to not non-Jerusalem people coming in. And Peter goes out and begins to proclaim the message of the gospel. And he speaks in his native tongue, and they hear in their native tongues. This incredible, incredible thing. And 3,000 people come to faith the first day. A heck of a church plant, right? And then, with, then he, keeps, he keeps growing and, and God's doing amazing stuff and it's growing and developing and there's some persecution and there's all sorts of things going on and the church is growing. And one of the problems was that there's so, much things, so many things happening that the people who were visiting didn't want to go home. They just you stay where the action is. And if you stay too long, your vacation funds kind of run out. And, and that was kind of what's happening, particularly for these widows from, over, from out, out of Jerusalem who come in. And the foreign widows, were, they, didn't know, they, they weren't being able to be fed. And, and there was a struggle going on. And they came to the apostles in Acts 6 and said, you know, we got these Grecian widows. They're not getting food. And the, the, the local ladies are, are getting their needs met. And so how are we going to work this out? And the disciples said, it's, it's, it's not for us. We, the, the apostles said, we, we need to devote ourselves to prayer and ministry of the word. So but it's important that people get their needs met. So we're going to create a team called deacons. And, and, and you guys are going to handle this serving of the table thing. And they, they prayed and the Spirit of God pointed out seven guys. And they, 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 they named them. And one of those guys' names was Stephen. And he became a deacon assigned to take care of the needs of the people of the church. But Stephen didn't deke very long because like immediately he's out in this thing preaching. He's upping the game. I'm now proclaiming it, and he angers the Jewish political, religious culture and the leaders. And they called him in front of them to judge him. And he said, you've been preaching this name of Jesus. You're preaching against us. You have something to say for yourself. And as Kyle brilliantly showed last week, Peter, I mean, Stephen just began to preach this amazing confrontational history lesson to the Jewish leaders. I mean, just, this is where you blew it. This is where you blew it. This is where you blew it. Explaining it. And then at the end, <laughs> somehow Stephen didn't read the How to Win Friends and Influence People book or the, uh, the Guide to Political Correctness because he kind of ends his message by saying in verse 51, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart and ears are always resisting to the Holy Spirit, and you're doing just what your fathers did. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become, and you received the law as ordained by angels, yet you do not keep it. And they didn't go, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it says, and when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and began gnashing their teeth at him. I don't exactly know what gnashing your teeth at someone looks like, but I don't think it's very pretty. And it's not pleasant for the guy getting gnashed at. And then it says that this about Peter, about Stephen, rather. Being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I mean, I don't know about you, but if, 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 you, if that's me, I'm thinking, these guys are coming at me and I'm seeing Jesus and I'm going, this is going to turn out well. Jesus is right there ready to pounce. We're winning this game. This is awesome. 
And it says that they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed upon him with one impulse. And they began driving him out of the city and they began stoning him. Now that had nothing to do with weed. Those were big rocks they were throwing at him to tear at his body with the clear intention of taking his life. Right. I thought gee, I thought you oh what what is shifting in my mind this this is not going to turn out well for me. And then it says they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord Jesus and he said receive my spirit. He just realized, okay, I'm I'm not making out of this this I'm not making it out of this alive. And then he prayed and he said, Lord, sick them. Right? Is that what he said? Lord, they're killing me. Get them. You're right there. I can see you. Bolt right here. You did a fire thing once. Do that. Whatever. Get them, Lord. Is that what he said? What did he say? As the last rock had left the hand that was heading to his head that was going to be taking his life. The very last words he said was, Lord, do not hold this against them. Forgive them. And with that, he breathed his last. We travel the world teaching people how to forgive. And, and people say, well, doesn't it take a while to get over this? I mean, you got to give some time. It's gonna, if that happens, it's going to take a long time to get over it. You really got to have, have time to process this. And, and according to Stephen, you've got like a millisecond. You, you, it, is, it is as a rock is in the air. You've got a choice. Will I forgive this or not? And you're thinking, yeah, but that was then. I mean, that was Jerusalem. That was first century. I mean, Jesus was, I mean, it was just a few days. It was just, you know, weeks after Jesus had resurrected. And, and, and it's just like just a few days and weeks after all these miracles started happening. And this is kind of crazy. Yeah, so the faith is going to be stronger there because that's a whole different. This is 2,000 years later. We've evolved. We've learned things. It takes longer now. But fast forward 2,000 years in the same city. And Tony and I are in Jerusalem, in Israel, about four years ago, and uh, we were speaking at a church called the Marquis Street Church, and we didn't know anybody. We, had, we, we Literally, a friend connected us with a pastor. We'd never met anybody yet. We just walked in. The pastor was in a basement room somewhere tra- teaching a Bible study, and it's just two ladies, the church lady, because every church has a church lady, you know, the 180-year-old lady who makes coffee for everyone, and, and that's what she was doing. And then there was a lady named Marika who was in her 70s. And she was kind of visiting, it turns out. And so Tony's setting up our, our resource table, and we, table, and we have our, our book in, in, in English. We also have it in Hebrew and Arabic. And so she's setting this up, and she came up, and Marika said, well, what is your, what is your book about? And, oh, I, forgiveness. I love forgiveness. I've got a great forgiveness story. Would you like to tell, um, hear my forgiveness story? And Tony goes, sure, we love forgiveness stories. Tell us your forgiveness story. And here's her story. Marika was a, is a Dutch lady who had been a single, a single lady who was in her 70s, but for the last 30-something years had been in, sent to Jerusalem by God 
to, or, to, to foster Arab orphans for the purpose of bringing them to Jesus. And there had been over 30 kids throughout the years she had, she had fostered. And in Jerusalem, it really doesn't, doesn't help you to have a car because there's no place to put it. So every transport, public transport buses is a way you get to places. And she was on a bus going to the grocery store one day when two Arab men, at a stop, two Arab men got on, one set in the front, one set across from her in the middle of the bus next to the middle uh, door. And as the bus began to move, the guy in the front stood up and began shooting people on the bus. And the guy next to her jumped on top of her and stabbed her five times. Thinking he, he had finished her off, went to someone else. And she's laying there and thinking, what, what do I do? And one of the bullets had, knocked, had blown out the window of the, of the door. And so she said, I, I, I'm going I'm to risk it. So she ran for the door and started running down the street crying, Lord, help me. And well, let, let her tell the story. As soon as I got off the bus and I was calling out to the Lord to send somebody to help me, the Lord said, yes, I will help you, but I want you to forgive the man who tried to kill you. I, I, said, I said, oh my goodness. So he asked you to forgive the man who killed you before you even sent someone to help you? Yes. I had, yes. That's the first thing he asked you to do. Yes. There's nobody. Well, I was walking down the street, you know, and crying out for help. That's what God said. And I said, I, that's hard, you know, when you hear it, when somebody tries to kill you. But said, um, he said, because I will make everything well if you do that. So I said, okay, Lord, it's a choice, you know. Yes, I said, it's, it's, it's difficult. I said, okay, Lord, I make the choice to forgive the man who did it. And I trust that you will make everything well. And that what happened. But I, I, said, I, I said it out loud. And then peace filled my heart. And I knew everything will be well. He will work it out for, for good, you know. He's going to use it. And I also knew, um, sometimes, I never asked the Lord, why did you, why did this happen to me? You are the protector. Yeah. And I pray every day for protection. Nothing. Nothing. You I said, you had no question of God. You trusted no, him. I trusted him. God is good. Yes. He is so profoundly good. And I've experienced it. Mm -hmm. So I had peace in my heart. I went into a hospital, had to stay for a week. I had tubes everywhere. Mm -hmm. But um, I had all the time his peace. And I knew I had forgiven. Mm -hmm. So, and then my kids came. I am a foster mother for other children. So one of the first questions was when the children came, they said, um, Mama, do you still love us as Arabs? And do you love the Arabs? Don't you hate? That's what he said. Don't, don't you hate the Arabs now? Do you hate them? Mm -hmm. And I never, I never thought about it. I said, I hate you and hate the Arabs? No way. I'm called for the Arabs. You know, God called me here for the Arabs. He's given you a love for them. Yes. And I told my children, I have forgiven the man who wanted to kill me. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't understand that. How can you forgive? I said, I don't know. I said, I just did. God asked me to do it. I made a choice. Mm -hmm. I forgive from him. Mm -hmm. What was interesting is immediately when she said, oh, she chose to forgive. I mean, like, oh, sir, I will not send you help until you forgive the person who just tried to kill you. In the moment she forgave, there was a Jewish man who pulled up in a Mercedes, got out, took off his shirt, wrapped up her worst wound, put her in his Mercedes, bleeding, 
took her to the emergency room, got her out, got her on a gurney. As she was going in, she looked back to see, to say thank you, and he was gone. She was treated in a, uh, in, a, in a bay with a curtain between her and one of her assailants. And one of the uh, week or two into this, the crisis counseling team that came in, some people died on, the, on it and, and, and others were deeply wounded, but she was one of the worst wounded, but she healed quicker than anyone else. And the, count, the counselors came in and said, we got a question for you. you. You are right now where we try to get every one of our patients and we never get them there and you're already there. How did you get here? She said, I forgave. You see, Stephen knew and Marika knew that God expects forgiven people to forgive others so much so he connects his forgiveness with ours. God expects forgiven people to forgive others so much so he connects his forgiveness with ours. We all know the Lord's Prayer, right? What is the one clause in the Lord's Prayer that has a condition attached to it? It's about forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You see, it's not the condition I would expect. If I were predicting Jesus was going to give us a uh, a, a prayer to pray about forgiveness in a, a condition, in a model prayer, it, it would be, God, help me forgive others the way you have forgiven me. But it's exactly the opposite of that. Jesus is telling us to pray, Dear Heavenly Father, please use the standard I use at dealing with the people who wound me as a standard you use to relate to me. Well, excuse me, I don't want God using anything I do as his standard, particularly how I deal with wounds. But that's what Jesus says to pray. In fact, it's the only clause in the Lord's Prayer he gives immediate commentary to when he says, If you forgive men their trespasses, your Father will forgive you. If you don't, he won't. Now, we're not talking about eternal security. That's a whole different question. But what he is talking about is this. The way we deal with the people who wound us is how God will relate to us while we're walking around on the planet. And that should be unsettling to you. And it's not the only time he says it. Multiple times throughout the gospel he says it. In in Mark, he says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have something against someone. In other words, if you come to God in prayer and you've been wounded since the last time you talked to God in prayer and you have not dealt with that wound, God says, I don't even want to have this conversation with you right now. And every parent understands that construct. Kids, work it out, then come talk to me. But the most shocking statement Jesus makes in all the scripture, I believe, is in Matthew 18, what was read today. Because in Matthew 18, Peter asked Jesus this question, how many times do I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Is seven times enough? Well, Peter knew the Pharisees of the day said, if someone sinned against you twice, you had to forgive. After three three times, if you want to be generous, after that, you don't have to forgive, probably shouldn't. So when Peter was saying, Seven times, he was doubling the maximum of the Pharisees and adding one going, do I do good Jesus? Do I get a gold star? Pat on the back? Special seat at the table? And Jesus said, how about 70 times seven? That's 490 times, which is an unlimited number, literally times upon times, means unlimited. But when you think about it, if if you're in the 460s and you're still counting, You've not been forgiving because you won't keep track that long, will you? 
And then Jesus says something very significant. Whenever you read Jesus' words saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, you want to pay attention. Because what he's doing, he's opening the curtains of heaven and giving us a glimpse as to how God wants things to work. And he gives us a story, a natural account to teach a supernatural truth. And here's his story. A ruler came to collect debts from slaves who owed him money. And the first slave owed him 10,000 talents. He says, pay me what you owe me. I don't have it. Then I'm going to throw you and your family into debtor's prison, which is one of the dumbest concepts in all of history to me. I've never figured that out. If you can't pay for it while you're out working, how are you going to pay for it while you're Particularly if your family's there, right? I don't understand it, but that's what they would do. And the guy goes, please, please, please give me time. I'll pay it back. He didn't ask for forgiveness. He asked for time. But the ruler gave him more than he asked for. He forgave him the debt. Well, it's a great story, right? But most people I run into do not know what a talent was worth. Because a talent was worth 60 mina, and a mina was worth three months' wages. So one talent is 60 times. That's 180 months' wages for one talent. And this, that's 15 years' wages for one talent. And this guy owed 10,000 of them. That's 150,000 years' worth of wages. Please, please, please give me time. Anybody got a hundred? You ever? Anybody got a hundred fifty thousand year mortgage on your house? No one's giving you one. That's an insurmountable debt that the ruler forgave, which means his net worth came down by that much, and the net worth of the slave came up by that much. And I'm thinking, if I'm the slave, I'm in a good mood. I'm throwing a party. I'm bringing brisket. I'm bringing Chick Fil A sweet tea. I'm bringing anything Tex Mex. I'm bringing Babuelos cater. We're having a party, right? This guy doesn't do that. He went and finds another slave, someone under, not under his authority, someone equal with him under the same ruler's authority who owed him 100 days' wages. That's 16 grand. That's a manageable debt. He says, pay me what you owe me. Same appeal. Please, 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 give me time. I'll pay it back. And the first slave choked the second slave and threw him in prison. Well, the ruler heard about it because, let's face it, fellow slaves will always rat you out. It's kind of what they do, right? And he summoned him. He said, you wicked slave. Not a compliment. I forgave you all that debt because you asked for mercy. Should you not have also had mercy on your fellow slave the same way I had mercy on you? How many think it's a legitimate question? Yeah. And then it says, and his Lord, little L, moved with anger, rightfully so, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay what he owed. Well, what did he owe at this point? What did the ruler owe to the slave at this point? Or the slave owe to the ruler at this point? He did not owe the money because if you forgive a debt, you legally can't reclaim that debt. But he owed something. What is it he owed? Should you not have also had mercy on your fellow slave the same way I had mercy on you? He owed mercy to the next guy. And the torture in that day was a man assigned to the jail who was skilled at exacting the greatest amount of pain for the longest amount of time without someone passing out or dying. Think Braveheart at the end of the movie. You all know, you've all seen some example of torture. You know what it looks like. And Jesus now leaves the parable, which is very important. And he goes back to answering Peter's question. Remember who Peter was, right? The leader of the disciples. The guy, Jesus said two chapters earlier, I'm going to hand the keys of the kingdom of heaven over to you. In other words, I'm going to die, resurrect, ascend into heaven, and you're going to create a marketing firm called, I don't know, the church. And you guys are going to be responsible for taking the message of the gospel to the entire world. So if anyone's going to get special treatment, it just might be Peter. 
and these other apostles who were responsible to take the, the message of gospel viral. And Jesus says, my heavenly Father will do the same to you. Peter, you other guys, if each of you does not forgive your brother from your heart. The same what? My heavenly Father will do the same what? Well, in the context of Matthew 18, it can't mean anything but hand you over to the torturers. It doesn't say the Father tortures us. He says he gives authority for it to happen. And God withholds his protection when we don't forgive. And that word torture is also translated torment. It's used 18 times in the Greek New Testament. And with maybe one exception, every other time it's used in connection with hell or demonic activity. The rich man Lazarus, right? The beggar woke up in Abraham's bosom. The the rich man who wouldn't help the beggar died same day, woke up in, in, in hell being the same word torment. God gives legal authority. Are you listening? He gives legal authority for demonic forces to torment us when we don't forgive. And it's not because we've been wounded. It's because we haven't forgiven the wound. And torment looks like Depression, anxiety, bitterness, all, all of the addictions, control issues, anxiety, some physical issues. We've seen people physically healed when they chose to forgive. One lady had a, was at 80, a 20% capacity of her heart. She forgave, went back to her transplant doctor list the next week or, or doc, and to, to get checked out, and her heart was at 90% capacity, and she attributes it to forgiving. The doctors didn't understand it. We were, we were in Dallas a few years ago. We were speaking at a church and, and, uh, on a Sunday morning and then a Monday night. And we had this, because of a, a scheduling glitch, we had a, a Saturday, Sunday night open. And we were staying with a couple. And they had their small group, which was introducing us into the larger church. And uh, so, so Jim goes, Bruce, we're going to have a small group. It's just going to be a fellowship time. We're gonna, I'm going to grill some burgers. We're going to bring food. It's just a fellowship. You don't have to work. Don't want you to work. Don't want you to do anything. Just get to know our people. Okay, we can do that. And as they're preparing for that afternoon, he came, Jim came to me and said, Bruce, I'm so sorry. Someone invited Larry. Okay. You don't understand. Larry's the most bitter man we've ever, anyone has ever met. Everyone knows it. And I wanted you to have the day off. It's okay. It's cool. It's fine. So Larry shows up with his friend and, uh, and I greet him. And I don't spend time with him. I don't do. And so we're doing meeting, just greeting, having a good time, eating the stuff. And and Larry comes and just finds a seat on the couch and sits on the couch. And everybody else is doing stuff. And Larry's sitting on the couch. And when it's all said and done, people start leaving. Larry's still sitting on the couch. And finally, it's just Larry and Jim and I, Tony and a couple ladies talking about decorating things. And there's Larry. So I sit next to Larry in a chair next to the couch. And I said, so Larry, tell me your story. And Jim's going, don't tell him. He'll Ask him, he'll tell you. Well, the story is this. Very quickly, 10 years prior to that, his wife had been seduced. They were part of a large church in the mid-cities of of, of Dallas, Fort Worth. The, The pastor not only seduced his wife, but also his underage daughter. And other women and 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 underage girls. And now this pastor is serving in Huntsville. He said, I wanted to kill him, and it cost me my marriage. The shame on my wife was so great. And then a year earlier, you know, nine years after that, but a year prior to where we were, he said, my son had come home from the war 
and um, he's a Marine, and he had PTSD, uh, but he also had a bad encounter with a lieutenant on the police department that went south. And so he decided that his job was to investigate corruption in the Dallas PD. And so he was becoming a nuisance to the police department, but he's struggling. And he, one night, he's supposed to be at a Bible study. He calls his buddy, and he says, I, who's at the Bible study, and said, I just shot myself. Well, he's a Marine. He shot himself here. That's not a suicide attempt. That's a cry for help. So his buddy calls 911. 911 dispatches two uniformed police officers. But that lieutenant was off duty, heard the call, said, I'll respond. I'm close by. Goes by, goes into this young man's apartment, finds him on the floor in his bathroom, and they shoot him six more times and kill him. And the police investigated and no charges. He said, I'll never forgive the police department. And I told him what I just told you about Matthew 18. And I said, you have to forgive. He said, I'm not going to forgive. I said, are you enjoying your torment? Because he was a mess. I said, because I'm going to sleep well. I pointed the room. I was, I, you have not slept well. And he made the decision right then to forgive. His wife, the pastor, the police officers, the police department. And everything in Larry's countenance shifted. Jim is going, oh, I've never seen this. He, Jim can't get old. He's, it's been five, six years. Jim still can't talks about it. The transformation in Larry's life, he showed up at the meeting the next night and at the end gave his testimony and apologized to the pastor for holding him accountable for what someone else did. And then he talked about going up to two police officers that day and buying them, apologizing for the way he treated them and viewed them based upon someone who was in their line of work, what they did, and, and, and said, can I buy you coffee? He now has a heart to build up and minister to police officers because God withholds his protection when we don't forgive he unleashes it when we do he gives legal authority for demonic forces to torment us but the moment we forgive the tormentors are told by the father to leave you don't have to ask they go and the big question then becomes why why does God discipline it's not a punishment it's a discipline why does God discipline unforgiveness more harshly than any other sin we as believers can commit? Because there's nothing else that he says, I'm going to hand you over the tormentors for. And some people say, well, he'll kill you for certain things. Well, hello, no believer gets to heaven and says, Jesus, this was too soon. I'm serious. If we get to heaven and God demands us to have one complaint, we're not going to have a complaint. But he said, you got to get them, come up with something. The only thing we could possibly come up with is what took you so long to get me here? But to be left on the planet under the influence of demonic tormentors, that's horrific discipline. Why? Because forgiveness is at the core of the gospel. You can't cut the gospel anywhere. It doesn't bleed forgiveness. In Luke 24, it says... Jesus is speaking, if it's not the last, it's one of the last conversations he has with his disciples. He says, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again on the third day so that. And that so that is a purpose clause. Well, what's the big deal about that? Well, in a purpose clause, what precedes a purpose clause is never the main goal. It's the means to the main goal. The main goal always follows the purpose clause. So can we just get a witness? Can we just get an amen here that the death and resurrection of Jesus is kind of a big deal? Big, 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 big deal. But it's not the main event. It's the means to the main event. 
What's the main event? So that repentance for forgiveness of sins be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Forgiveness is at the core of the gospel. You can't cut the gospel anywhere. It doesn't bleed forgiveness. Because the gospel is simply this. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, not only did man lose a lot, we lost the relationship we were designed to have with God, but God lost a lot. He lost the glory we were designed to give him. And God said, I want my kids back and I want my glory back. But there's a problem. There's a sin debt. There's more than 150,000 years worth of wages. There's zero possibility they'll ever be able to make it right. Jesus, is there something you're willing to do about this? Sure, Dad. I got more than enough righteousness in my account. I can cover this. So he leaves heaven, comes to the planet, lives 33 and a third years perfectly, stretch out his arms, and he said, it is almost done, right? It is, I've got the bill, you cover the tip. No. What do you say? It is finished. What was finished? The payment for the sin debt of the world. 1 John 2, 2, he is the satisfaction for our sins, but not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world, which means people don't go to hell because they've not been forgiven. They go to hell because they've not repented to receive the benefit of the forgiveness because every sin ever committed by anybody anywhere on the planet, past, present, or future was paid for by Jesus on the cross. It is finished. The We're bought. It's paid with the precious blood of Jesus. Three days later, when God the Father raised him from the dead, the Father said, I agree. I receive the blood of my son as payment in full for the sins of the world against me. So when we say, God may forgive, but I won't, we're saying, dear Heavenly Father, I appreciate that you place so high a value on the blood of your son that you receive it as payment in full for the sins of the world against you. But So, but when, so when we say, let me back up. I got, I got lost there for a second. I was, my brain was going too fast. When we say God may forgive, we're saying we accept the fact that God is satisfied with what Jesus did, but we need something more than that. The blood of your son is not enough for us. And what father would easily handle the crowning achievement of his son being devalued by the very ones he achieved it for? We say it this way, the blood of Jesus covers all sin, including the ones that wound us. And I believe the reason why the church is so impotent in our culture is that we have, we have not learned to forgive. And the watching world is saying, you're not smoking what you're selling. You want us to forgive the, believe in the forgiveness of God, but you're not willing to forgive anyone else. And I've got a life, a life uh, principle that I live by. You want to know what it is? Never eat barbecue prepared by a vegetarian. It's just not going to turn out well. I want my barbecue prepared by a big, heavy set guy with barbecue sauce in his beard. I want to know he has tasted the stuff and he's just sharing with me the overflow. And the world needs to know we've tasted the grace of God. We have tasted. It's all over us and we're sharing with them the overflow and we're passing it around like candy because it's what me gives us life. So how do you forgive? Well, very quickly, I've got like seven minutes to teach two hours. Awesome. Um, you want to use the model of Jesus. And there's, three, there's, there's four key elements about the model. The overarching issue is this. Jesus never let the offense determine whether he would forgive someone. Because he loved people more than he hated their sin. 
And we need to learn to separate people from their behavior. We love people, we honor people, but we hate or we forgive the, wound, the things they did that wound us. Because we, and, and there's nothing in this list that keeps God from loving here. He never lets the offense determine whether he'd forgive someone. There's nothing that Jesus goes to the Father and says, did we cover that one? It's all done. It's all covered. And then Jesus predetermined before the foundation of the world that he would forgive. He didn't wait for us to repent. He didn't wait for us to be born. Then he purposely chose to pay our debt. He paid our debt on the cross. We, we don't replicate that. We can't replicate that. We just believe it and apply it. And then he left the reconciliation decision to us. Now, here's a big breakthrough freedom for some of you. Reconciliation and forgiveness are not the same thing. You can forgive without being reconciled. So let's just imagine this is a table, with a five-top table. You've got the Father, the Son, the Spirit sitting there. It's called the table of reconciliation. And there's two more seats. This seat is for the person who's been wounded. What do they bring to the table? They bring forgiveness. Now, forgiveness doesn't say, it's no big deal. It's no thing. Cool. It's all right. No, forgiveness says what they did was wrong, but Jesus paid for it. And don't excuse it. It just covers it. And repentance is not changing your behavior. I know I used to teach that. My dad used to teach that. But it's, repentance does not mean changing your behavior. The word for repentance is metanoia. And metanoia means to change your mind. Like metamorphosis, right? Metamorphosis means to change your form, right? Completely change form. Metamor- metanoia, to change your mind. Repentance says what I did was wrong. What can I do to make it right? At which time the person who's sitting here already says, thank you very much. I do appreciate that. But our big brother Jesus has already paid for it. Just enjoy the table. So God calls us to forgive and he calls them to repent. Who does he call to, who does he call to the table first? Always, 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 God calls the one who's been wounded to forgive first before he calls them. Because that's the model before the foundation of the world. So we don't wait for them. Why? Because if we're waiting for them to repent and they've not repented, our forgiveness is based upon them, not based upon the cross of Jesus, right? And if they've not repented, they're thinking badly. They're not thinking right. And I'm in torment if I don't forgive. So I'm letting someone who's thinking wrong to determine whether or not I'm in torment. And again, as we talked about this weekend, there's a theological term for that. It's stupid. It's just dumb. So God calls us what they did was wrong, but Jesus paid for it. And we come to the table. And we also will tell you, don't go tell them. Because if they don't, if they've not repented, they'll reject your forgiveness and they will wound you again. It's another wound you'll have to forgive. And it may drive them apart. So just come to the table, sit here, and let God the Holy Spirit do something. And I can't tell you how many times we've seen it happen that someone comes to the table and God will work in the heavenlies and bring them to the table and they will be, and will be reconciled. But if they're not, you're not reconciled. But you're sitting at the table with three pretty good table mates. You got the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And they serve amazing appetizers and there's no calories. 
It's all angel food cake, right? It's amazing stuff. So you sit here and you trust God. That's how God does it with us, right? Is this helpful? So you forgive. So how do you forgive? There are seven protocols. We have a, and I'm going to just tell you, we have a bookmark with the protocols on the back, and they're at the table in the in the downstairs. And if you, we'll give you one of these. Just you can go to the table and grab one from there. There's other resources to expand what we've done, what I've taught here. But the first, the first protocol is simply this: you thank God for forgiving you. You recognize in the Matthew 18 story, you're the first servant, not the second servant. You've been forgiven an insurmountable debt. Who, Whatever anyone has done to you, whatever you're holding against someone else, pales in comparison to the contrast between your unrighteousness and God's righteousness. And you did nothing to deserve that. So thank you, God, for forgiving me. Then you ask God, who do I forgive and for what? Now, here's a very important point. You don't forgive people. You forgive wounds. But the wounds were caused by a person. So you forgive the person for the wounds. It doesn't ever, it never, people come to us, I've forgiven my dad. Well, I just forgave him. I, I forgive my dad. For what? Existing? He's created in the image of God. We're to honor all men. I was talking with Kyle earlier. And a lady asked me in Israel, a Holocaust survivor, do you mean I have to forgive Hitler? Yes. Because you honor Hitler, even though you dishonor all that he did, because he's created in the image of God. But he did really bad stuff, right? So we forgive the wounds. So how do you know what are the root wounds? And it's almost always, always, always a deep wound from your past. All, of all the couples we've helped, every one of them, the wound that's driving the torment that causes the conflict in their marriage predates the couple meeting. You, how do you know what the wound is? You ask the Holy Spirit. And here's a newsflash. He's really good at his job. Just ask him. He'll tell you. That's his job. Then you repent. Number three, you repent of your sin of unforgiveness. Have I convinced you today that unforgiveness is not just a bad idea? It's a sin, and it has consequences you do not want to suffer. Well, how do you, how do you deal with sin? It's a very simple thing. You repent. I was wrong to not forgive and dishonor your blood by not doing God, I now know that when I didn't forgive, I was saying something about your blood I don't ever want to say, and I don't believe. Your blood is enough, and I'm sorry for what I did to, 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 to communicate to you that it wasn't. Your blood is enough. I'm, I'm aligning myself. I repent of my sin of unforgiveness. This is what cleans your pipe to get you connected so you can actually do the work of protocol number four, which is forgive each offense from your heart. Why from your heart? Because that's where you're wounded. And you forgive a person for all the wounds they did. I forgive my dad for, for this, for this, for this. You can cluster them. You don't have to say, I forgive my dad for not showing up at my ball game on, on September 4th, 19-whatever, and then on September 11th and September... No, it's for all the times dad didn't show up. For all the times my mother said I was worthless. For all the time... But you forget, you make sure you know what is in the list. Because forgiveness is not a process, 
It's a transaction, and you make this transaction. And when, you're, when, when the Holy Spirit stops revealing wounds that you need to forgive this person for, you close it out by, by saying, I declare this person is no longer in my debt. I transfer their debt to the cross where Jesus paid it all. And then how do you seal it? How do you know, so how do you know you've forgiven? The, the validation protocol is number five. You ask God to bless them, and you look for ways to bless them when possible. If you cannot bless someone, you've not forgiven them. One final story on this. A friend of mine came to me, and she said, Bruce, I think I've forgiven my son-in-law, but I'm not sure. Uh, Why aren't you sure? I don't like to be around him. Well, that's a clue. (laughs) What did he do? Well, a few years ago, he stole some money from me, from us. And we knew he did it, and he won't admit it. And so every time we're together, I mean, I just get up and go to another room or whatever. I said, well, you need to forgive him. And, and, she, and, and, and well, how will I know I did it? You need to bless him. Well, how do I bless him? I don't know. Bless him in the way in which he wounded you. So why don't you buy him a gift? He said, Bruce, you don't understand. I don't like him. I, don't, I have not spent enough time with him to know what he would want. I said, then give him some money. But say he can't, he can't use it on your grandkids or your, your daughter or any household bill. He has to use it on something he wouldn't be able to get normally. She goes, I know exactly how much I'll give him. How much? $500. I said, can I be your son-in-law? <laughs> Why 500 bucks? Because that's how much he stole. Well, I ran into her about a week later. I said, how'd it go? He said, well, I went up to him and I, I, I got the money and I went and pulled him aside. And I said, I just want to apologize to you. Because I've held myself back from you, and, and I've not been very affirming to you. And I always want you to know that I think you're a great husband to my daughter and an amazing father to my grandkids. And we just want to bless you and here and gave him the money. But you've got to use it on you and the whole thing. And I'm looking for a Hallmark moment, right? I'm looking for a breakdown. Oh, I'm so sorry. You know. So I'm going, what do you do? What do I do? He goes, he went, wow, thanks, and walked off. I said, I'm sorry. He said, no, 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 Bruce, it's, all, it's okay. It's okay. It wasn't about him. It was about me. And I'm free. And what's interesting is God has brought the man around, and their relationship is good now. There's two more protocols we don't have the time to deal with. But God expects forgiven people to forgive others so much so he connects his forgiveness with ours. He withholds his protection. He gives legal authority for demonic forces to torment us when we don't forgive. But he restores that protection. He rescinds that authority because forgiveness is at the core of the gospel. And the blood of Jesus covers all sin, including the ones that wound us. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you forgave us. Thank you that forgiveness is found in the precious blood of Jesus as we prayed earlier. But Lord, give us a different understanding of that. Because we love it that it's about us. We love it when it's our sins that you have forgiven. We we, we love it when we get to be covered by the blood. But when someone else does it to us, when something wounds us, not so much. So, Lord, bring us to the end of ourselves that we will declare your blood is enough. In the powerful, strong name of Jesus, we pray. And God's people said, amen.